Let's talk a bunch of different topics. How her career get there. This is a podcast with Lauren Ascari. All set. Ready? Yes. All right. This is the Lauren Asgari podcast, How'd Her Career Get There? And my guest today is Kate Ladon with Ladon Branding and Marketing. Welcome. Thank you. It's excited to be here. So let's, uh, I guess, to start off, kind of give a quick overview of um, your company and what it does, maybe in a couple sentences. Yes. Um, so it's crazy because these days there's so many things that I do that it's hard for me to give my elevator pitch, but my tried and true one, uh, or try and true one for Ladon Branding and Consulting is really, whether it's a personal brand or a corporate brand, I help companies scale through having consistent, consistent messaging and positioning. And that has now led me into, um, not only working with professional associations and being a continuing education uh, professional, but also now being in medical marijuana. So um, that's what I'm saying. There's just a lot of things that I feel like I'm involved with now that I could never have told you I'd be involved with three years ago, but it's really been exciting. And is there like a, uh, a sweet spot for you in terms of like size of clients that you work with or, or types yes. of profiles? Yes. So there's, there's really client A and client B, I'll say. Client A are personal brands or solopreneurs, professional service providers, coaches, consultants. A lot of them are looking to monetize their thought leadership. So they've gotten in a position now where they've been contracting or consulting and they realize, hey, you know... I have a lot of content. I have a lot of thought leadership. I want to start monetizing my personality, whether that's keynotes, running workshops, finally writing that book. It's helping them develop and then really um, profit off of that personal brand development. So that's client A. And then client B is corporations and associations who are about, I'll say, at least three to five years in business. And they really got a, a head start because their founder was just a rip-roaring salesperson and had this entrepreneurial vision. But now that they've hired people underneath them, they're finding that they've kind of hit that uh, scalability breaking point of, okay, well, we don't necessarily have a consistent message and image unless our founder is saying it. It might not really resonate. We need to make sure our people are all saying the same thing when they're networking. So I usually get pulled in at that critical pain point where they're trying to get to the next level of growth and realize they don't necessarily have the language or positioning that will allow them to do that. So that's really interesting. I'm going to come back to that later because sure. that's, uh, I think, an important, interesting topic for a lot of people. Um, what is, tell us a little bit about you. So where'd you grow up? Sure. Brother, so I, sisters, only child. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a brother. His name is Brent. He currently resides in Florida, but um, we are from Southern Maryland, Calvert County, Maryland, which is the smallest, literally the smallest county in Maryland. And every time I tell people, they have no idea what I'm talking about. So generally I say, ah, Southeast of DC is right. where I'm from. Um, and it was, it was more of a, it's a wholesome upbringing. Um, meaning that, you know, the county didn't even allow us to have shopping malls there. And so it was really like a leave it to beaver situation. And when I turned 18, to be very frank, I was ready to get the hell out of Dodge. Like I had my eyes on bright lights, big city. I'm getting out of here. The small town feeling of it and the knowing everybody is almost suffocating. Um, so it's funny because when I moved to more metropolitan areas, I actually found that I was much more calm there 
then when I go back and there's like wide open spaces and a ton, you know, of people that know everybody. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I went to college at UNCW and then I transferred to Towson University because I uh, actually started modeling and all of all things in Manhattan and had an agency up there and figured to get from Baltimore to Manhattan was a much easier uh, attempt than going from you know, North Carolina to, right. to New York and trying to establish a modeling career. So when you were in, what did you study in school? What did I study in school? Uh, I studied PR, public relations and communications with a marketing certificate. Um, I had every intention of going to law school actually studied for the LSATs. When I was modeling and starving myself, I would look at my agents and think, wow, I'm on the wrong side of this business. You guys are eating anything you want, making 20% off of me, (laughs) running around the city, not eating uh, and standing in front of a camera for eight hours. So I really, I would say that that is where I actually first found out I had this uh, just insatiable curiosity about business. I found myself more interested in the business of modeling than actually being a model. So, of course, all of them were attorneys. Most of them went to, like, University of Miami Law School, and I thought, oh, okay, I'll do that. I'll be the Jerry Maguire of models and, you know, make my splash in business in that way. And then when I was at Towson, I uh, took a sales course by somebody who was just an adjunct professor and had a Sandler sales uh, business, and and she was there teaching us sales. And as I sat in that course, I remember thinking, oh, my God, even if I become a lawyer, this is the stuff I have to know. If you know how to sell, you can do anything. And that's really when I would say I firmly planted my flag in the marketing and in sales uh, track and decided, no, we're going full force on this because it doesn't matter if I can sell a business, I can do business essentially. So when you were younger, like when you were growing up, what did you, what did you want to be? goodness on a on a different day probably a lot of different things a teacher I remember playing school all the time I thought that was the coolest and then at some point a model I'm sure um I you know I was I was never that kid that knew from a young age like this is firmly what I want to do which is many ways I think is probably telling that I ended up being entrepreneurial because still today if you ask me you know what do you want to be when you grow up I'm like oh, well, a little bit of this a little right. bit of that <laughs> So when you were, so going into the modeling stuff, was that something like an opportunity just came up and you kind of took advantage of it? Or was that like, no, that's what I want to do. I'm like, focused my energy to go to New York. And then it ended up being, you know, in love with other things. Sure. If I'm being really, really honest about my motivations to get in it. uh, When I was 14, I had facial paralysis, Bell's palsy. And, um, you know, I just remember people would kind of laugh and ask me if I had a stroke. And it was the first time in my life where I realized what being physically handicapped was like. I mean, you're paralyzed. You can't smile. You can't, I was drooling on myself. I mean, my left eye wouldn't even close. I had to go to physical therapy. It was very traumatic. Um, It was great. Right after getting out of awkward years of middle school, finally started to come into my own. And then all of a sudden I woke up (laughs) on my face. It doesn't work. Um, So if, if, you know, (laughs) After therapy and, and much self-development, I could probably say honestly the reason I modeled was to prove to myself that I wasn't ugly. Right, right. You know, and, yeah. and really kind of try and get confidence in myself as a young person. Now, the laughable part of that is if you want to go and get self-confidence, the last place you should go into is the modeling it's industry the because they just pick you <laughs> apart. But I didn't know that. And, of course, you know, to say, oh, I model is, is it was something to have 
a teenager. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now I just kind of giggle at that. Right. Well, and to say like, hey, I proved those people wrong. I mean, you did yes. it, right? Yes. You stuck and it to them and then you made the choice. Hey, not on your terms. Am I not going to do something? I'm deciding to do something else. On that's absolutely course. right. And, and like anything in life, I don't think there was anybody I probably had to prove that to but myself. Mm-hmm. You know, my projections of my self-confidence were just mirrored back to me in life and I think it was really that thing of okay I can have this devastating thing that that really kind of gave me anxiety and at points depression in my life and I can overcome it and I can overcome it in the most obvious way which is the physicality of of modeling given that it was you know attacked my face that disease Um, but what really got me over that was self-development and therapy I mean I could have just saved myself years of agony and not eating if I would have gone right to a therapist and said I've got some problems right could have jumped right to business right right just could have just went for it yes yeah with Maryland and this is probably a little bit more where I started getting interested in business I would have the opportunity to work with these really cool companies that were coming out of Maryland and they need I mean they need models Under Armour needs models uh 180 earmuffs were my big thing Mm -hmm. I was in Target for those but yes, it gave me a different perspective from, oh, just high-end fashion modeling to there's money to be made in commercial and um, really mass appeal products. And that, I would say, probably kind of jump-started my interest in business because I was around these entrepreneurs busting out of Maryland, making a, a name for themselves in business. And then what was your... Are one of still around, by the way? You know, I, d- I don't know. I... I don't want to speak inaccurately, so I'll say this. I know that after they had that big splash with the around the back of the head ear warmers, that was like their golden goose. And I know this because I went to a talk from their founder, and he said that was like our ace in the pocket. We had the patent on that, so it was kind of our our thing. But I don't think it gave them maybe enough enough product diversity or something um, to really build a company. So I don't know if he's involved and I don't know if they're still around. I remember wearing the ones that go around. Yes. That's the only product that I knew that they made. It was great, right? You're like, oh, it's not going to mess up my hair. This is fantastic. Yeah, exactly. For women, I was like, this is perfect. (laughs) It was funny when I got there too, you know, modeling. They don't necessarily tell you who the client is all the time. So I just remember I showed up. Maybe I knew it was 180s, but at that point they were a relatively unknown brand. This was years ago, nearly God, a decade at this point. And um, they just were like, okay, here's these ear warmers. Just stand here and, and be happy but cold. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's like July and you're just like. <laughs> and who's so, happy when they're cold? Yeah, I, 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 I'm the, right, exactly. I shiver when I'm cold. I don't know. But um, it was funny. <laughs> so then what was your going into uh, the business world? What was your kind of like entrance into that? Like first job? Yes. So my first job. So I, because I wanted to be a very aggressive um, law school track, originally I started loading up on courses. I did all of the mini masters. I fortunately had AP transferred credits. And so I graduated um, before other people my age because my goal was to go to undergrad in three. I'm going to go to law in three, get the whole thing done in six and come out rip roaring with this law degree and, and go into business. Fortunately, I did not choose law because I graduated during the recession. Um, And many friends of mine who incurred, as millennials do, Mm -hmm. massive amounts of student debts putting themselves through law school, I saw them taking jobs as paralegals. and, And not my mother was a paralegal. I'm not saying anything about that. But the math from their loans to the jobs that they were coming out of college getting was quite startling to me. And I saw a lot of them struggle. 
So I, I was very fortunate that I graduated early ahead of a lot of other people. And I found this ad in Craigslist and it said, you know, we're looking for a marketing manager. Subprime finance company looks for a marketing specialist, of course, not manager. And I went in and I interviewed. I sat down with the CEO and the head of HR and they were like, it's a lot of direct mail campaigns and this and that. And I was just like, done, I'll take it. Let's do it. Now, you know, I worked very hard. I, I networked in college. Um, I had a great portfolio that I went into that company with, fortunately, from internships. What I didn't realize going into that company, though, is how aggressive of a mergers and acquisition position they were in. And to be clear, this company did not do subprime mortgages. So they did not take a hit like other subprime right. institutions did. They were just doing consumer loans, I would say a sweet spot of anywhere from like two to $5,000 for people who needed money for a new water heater, but you know, weren't getting other, loans maybe other quote, quote unquote, traditional lines of credit. Right. So um, it was a lot to walk into. It certainly as a 22 year old walking into that company, not knowing anything about subprime loans and just being bright eyed and bushy tailed on social media marketing, I got a very, very intense education about what business was. And I said this to my younger employees when they came on. They're like, we're marketing personal loans. You're like, listen, if you can market this product with all the compliance, especially after 2008 and Dodd-Frank is here and there's a ton of compliance, you can market anything. You can market anything. Right, right. And so I really saw it. I'm an eternal optimist. I'd like to think... I, I, I saw it as, oh, this is like, I'm going to get, I'm going to learn money. Right. And I learned marketing and admittedly did not know a lot about money. And so I got a very great education. I had a CEO who, you know, to his credit, really believed in me and a lot of other young people and managers. He was a, a younger guy and he wasn't, he wasn't afraid to take a chance on us. And I'll always be very grateful for that. So what was the marketing strategy like then compared to like what you might do now? Oh, so that was, um, I mean, very much predictive analytics and data. I would say that the closest people I worked with in that company were my data department, was my data department. And that was uh, the fastest growing department we had because much of it was doing, you know, models of credit scores. What's their propensity to pay back? What are other factors that don't come into a traditional credit report that's going to impact? And when you, I remember we got this chief risk officer when I was leaving and her name was Julia. Her name is Julia. And she was just a dynamo. And I remember her saying, it's no fun to to market loans to people who have, you know, seven, 800 credit because... You, you just know they're going to pay you back. It's not as much as a, not a fun challenge. game. Yeah, it's not a challenge. Like, will they or won't they? And for somebody who has that data, was not made, that data analytical mindset, I mean, they ate that up. Like, it was a, every, every day was gamification. It was an entrepreneurial pursuit of would I or would I not loan this money to this person? I, I think for the right people, it was definitely... It, more fun than marketing other financial products, I'd say. Uh, so it was definitely data, a lot of compliance. I mean, every industry has a level of compliance. But I remember looking at my compadres that went into like these techie or app firms and just staring with envy, thinking about, oh my goodness, you can make these fun social media posts and not have to go through six layers of compliance just to get shot down and say, there's no way we're letting you put that on social media. So. Right. 
it was, it was very different from the marketing I do now. <laughs> very different. So where, so you were there and then where, where'd you go after that? Or what, what, at what point did you decide like, eh, I want to move on from here and do something else? Yeah. So actually after a year of working there, um, I, I went into ad sales a lot of people told me because I had I had this insatiable desire to network. I never had to being in that job. It wasn't a B two B company. It was B two C. So networking wasn't as you know quote unquote. Networking is always important, but when you're in B two C, it's not like you're networking to gain clients. Right. You know. Right. So I would B2C network. B two C business to consumer. Exactly. Oh yes, yes, yes. Okay. Business to consumer. Right. So I wasn't going out looking for other business owners to sell to. I I just was. I love people. I'm an extrovert, extrovert. I'm not even a little bit an extrovert, introvert. Like I light up right. talking to I people. I get that. I can tell that by meeting you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, so, so I, I, it was my fuel. I would just love going there. I thought it was a blast. These networking events. I had no idea what I was saying to people. I mean, I was 22 and I didn't even really know the industry I was in all that well, but because I had this desire to do it, people started telling me, you know, you could make so much more money if you went into sales. Sales is the highest pay per- profession. You get to dictate the salary. You're already such a salesperson. Just do it. So I went and I went into magazine sales for a company called Smart CEO. They had a magazine. They had, you know, I had these like regionalized ink magazine is what I would kind of say. There's a Baltimore, a DC, New York, Philly. They had just opened New York when I was there. I was in the DC office. And um, they... You know, they weren't innovating as fast as I'd like them to be. At that point, I was really into all of the digital stuff. And as a marketer, I knew that was what was going to sell in the content marketing. And so I, I really had to push the magazines. And I would just sit there and stare at these magazines and think, oof, oof, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be spending my budget on that. But what I did get to do and why I think I surpassed every quota I had there, even though I never had been in sales is I would sell it. And then I would do the marketing strategy for these wealth advisors who didn't have a marketing department. So I would come up with the ad copy for them. And I love that because that was truly a marriage of my creative marketing background and my sales background. I think they loved it because they were essentially getting a marketing person and an ad campaign. And I even knew the compliance they had to deal with being wealth advisors because I came from a financial this is what I always tell young people. Do things that you don't feel like work because I couldn't have told you that that was a strategy of mine. I just couldn't stop myself from being... You're just drawn to doing it. Yes, and I just would look at the things that they were putting out and just like, oh, no, 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 no. Listen, I love marketing. Just let me do the ad campaign for you. Um, so most of them got probably double or triple what they were paying for. I mean, one of the things we were doing, advertorials, it was an interview, and it was like a paid interview, and they had to kind of answer these questions themselves. I sat on the phone with them. I interviewed them for three hours a piece, recorded it, and then transcribed, copy edited, sent them to approval, their page long advertorial, and then sent it over. And I remember I had a budget, it was like $20,000. In a week, I crushed like $25,000. And my sales director was like, what, what did you do? And I was just like, I told them they would, all they'd have to do is tell me about themselves. They wouldn't even have to write the freaking thing. Just talk to me about you and your business and I'll do everything for you. And for, you know, a 22 year old making 20% on that, I was, or whatever the commission was, probably less. I was just like, done, done. I would do this anyways. Yeah. And then to like have that experience to do it. And And interviewing these, you know, CEOs who were millionaires, please, I'll sit down with you any day of the week and do this. (laughs) Yeah. So you did, so you were at, uh, 
smart CEO. And I was at smart CEO for a year. Mm-hmm. And then this was the funny part. My former CEO from the subprime lender called me and said, listen, we, we, you know, we got this new financial backer. Our private equity group sold us. We're bringing on the oldest private equity firm and one of arguably the most established in the country out of Manhattan. We are going to grow. We want you back. We need you back. Like, come on back. Um, probably didn't say we need me back. He was a great negotiator. I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't show his cards like that. <laughs> but, he, you know, and so to use the words of Marlon Brando and The Godfather, like, he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. Right. And at that point, I was largely doing marketing. And I saw that magazines were going the ways of the dinosaur. And I saw this incredible opportunity. So I actually came back to that company and then spent another uh, few years there before I started my own business. And that those years the best years. I mean, we, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times in the sense of when you grow that quickly, you see everything that you should do when you grow that quickly and everything that you shouldn't do. And again, to leadership's credit there, they didn't know. I mean, nobody knows until you get to that point of growth, but it very much did tee me up to do what I'm doing now in helping companies who have reached a point of scalability and need to adjust their brand because we went from six states when I started with them to 16 states when I left with them. I mean, we were acquiring and acquiring and acquiring. And all of a sudden, you had to take these brands and merge them into your brand and make sense to the public and you know consumers of those other companies. Oh, this is why we're rebranding and this is why we got bought out by this company. Yeah, and in 16 different states, I would imagine, too, that there's some your audience is also different. Like... <sighs> People in the South are different than people in the Remarkably North. Remarkably different. Or different East Coast, West Coast. Even different. I remember we did an interview with branch managers and just the things they were using the loans for. Of course, you could see these trends potting. So in upstate New York, where we had branches, it was like snowmobiles. And then, of course, in you know Georgia, that's certainly not what they're buying with their right, loans. Right. So it was. It was also a great lesson in you know always reverse engineer your target demographics. And even though on paper financially we would have seen them as the same person, psychographically, mindset wise couldn't be different. different could not be different so you're there you're rocking and rolling and then what made you decide to start your own business so uh kind of like smart ceo i couldn't turn it off um i was running a department i had two employees at that point i, I got my first taste of management which was interesting um and great i loved my employees and interestingly enough one of them went on to start her own business too um but i would go home and i just i didn't have cable tv not a big TV watcher and I just needed something to do. So I created a blog and I realized the reason I created this blog is because I just wanted to build a lifestyle brand. I called it the chic executive and (laughs) it was like, look good, lead well, or I don't know. It was just so stupid. (laughs) Now that I look back at it, right. But that was the thing. I just, it's not even that I wanted to blog. I just wanted to brand something that compliance wasn't going to come down on me for. So I I met my first graphic designer and I branded this thing and I thought, oh my gosh, this is addictive. So I would start going around to small mom and pop companies in Baltimore and just say, you know, if you just did this and you said this and you did this, it would be different. So the first client I probably had. Now this is where you still work. I was still working working there that I had the balls to ask for money for or the ovaries to ask for money. This is, of course, a women in business <laughs> podcast that I had the ovaries to ask for money for 
was this client who was doing a six-week beauty boot camp. And I thought the idea was smart. I had no idea how they were making money off of it because the thing was so affordable. But essentially, you paid something silly, like $5.49, and you got six weeks of workout, teeth whitening, three spray tans, a hair makeover, a makeup makeover, a blah, 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 and you just came out, like, six weeks later... Like a new woman. A new woman. And... I looked at their webpage and it looked like they were marketing 90s jazzercise classes. And I saw this thriving millennial pool in Baltimore and thought, you have no idea the amount of money you're sitting on. So I asked them for $1,200, like 400 of which I gave, not even that, it was probably like 700 of which I gave to a graphic designer. I maybe pocketed, you know, a couple hundred, 500 bucks all said and done. But I read, we redid their logo. I rewrote all of their copy. I set them up with a Facebook ad campaign. We revamped the website. I'm telling you, deal of the century, $1,200. They had not even a single inquiry in that website being live for, I think it was like eight months before I got involved. In the first two weeks of us launching it, they had like six cold leads. And that's when I thought, again, it was one of those things where it wasn't about the $500. It was the validation that I could ask for money, get the money, and then reliably deliver based on, uh, you know, my expertise. And I thought, oh my gosh, I could do this. I mean, I could really do this. And so I did, I just started next one up was a jewelry company and then et cetera, et cetera. To all of a sudden I found myself managing a marketing department, moonlighting as this brand consultant. And then it got to a point where the company offered me equity was like, a, and, and again, all the credit in the world to my CEO for taking that leap. And he was like, you know, you've been with us. We're growing. I want you to have a stake in this as if, you know, you, you have a stake in this. And I, I remember I went home and I was like, oh my goodness. And I was staring at salary and the equity and what my future could be like. And I read the book, The Alchemist. This was Memorial Day weekend uh, four years ago. so like 2014. And I sat there and I just closed the cover of that book. It's a short read, right? Mm-hmm. You can get it yeah. done in like two to three days, which I did. And I closed the cover of the book and I thought, this is a journey. There's no way I'm staying in Spain or wherever that kid was from, sheep farming. Right, right. With the almost probable certain future of me getting attached to this salary and not having any risky bone in my body. If I'm going to go for broke, and I mean truly go for broke, um, now is the time to do it. And so I just went in. I remember thanking him profusely, you know, kind of turning the equity back and saying, this is great, but I got to go. I just got to do this. And this, mind you, this is the second time I left this company. <laughs> and I, I, I wanted to throw up. Like, I was that, that nervous. And um, I remember he said, you know, I'm sad, but I'm not surprised. And if there's anybody who would go to start their own business of, you know, the youngers who have, who have been hired here... It, it does not come as a surprise to me that you would, and I wish you all the success in the world. So that had to make you feel like, walking out, did you feel like, I did the right thing? Did you think about it for a couple days or weeks? Like, So this is this is actually how I did it. And I, I, I still, you know, you look back on certain moments of your life and you just wonder who you were at that moment, almost like an out-of-body out experience. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know where at that point I, I got the faith to do this. I just knew in my heart that it was the right thing. But I remember the day I was driving to quit the day before that I had an interview for an accounting client and the money I would have made off of that contract 
would have alone kind of matched my salary. It was a really great contract. And so the interview was on Monday. I went in with the intention to quit on Tuesday, not knowing whether I'd secured that contract. At that point, I had only made a couple of thousand dollars in the business. No plans on any other client besides this one, you know, whale, if Mm -hmm. you will. And so I went in Tuesday and I had done probably the worst thing I could have done, which is call my parents on the way to work and tell them I'm going to go ahead and quit this job. Uh, and like my, the parental input? Oh, gosh. And my, so my mom was, you know, a school teacher. My father was a police officer. And they were like, what? You're making more money than we did years. You have equity. You're out of your goddamn mind. Like, don't do that. Wait and see if you get this client. If you don't, work hard and get another one. And don't leave until you essentially have another salary, right? Until you have a place to for sure land. Yes. Don't go. And I got off the phone. I remember thinking, oh, my God, what if I'm making a huge mistake? And I went in and I called my boyfriend at the time who who owned his own business. So I thought, okay, I'll get this entrepreneurial input from him. He's for sure just going to be like, nope, you're an entrepreneur, do it, leave. And he was like, you know, they might have a point. I was like, what? What? (laughs) You're supposed to be the one that's like, no, 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 just backflip off the cliff and figure out how to fly down. Like, let's do this. So at that point I was, you know, I probably decided and undecided five times that day that I was going to quit or not. And so I just decided, you know what? If I, and I talked to a coach and he was a really great coach. I didn't know him all that well at the time, but I called him and I just knew that he was really great at talking people through. And he was like, I I invite you to consider that if you stay there, you'll find reasons for yourself to get fired because you're just, your heart's not in it. Your heart's not in it. You know that. And I was just like, oh, okay. So this was the validation I needed. So then I went back to, okay, I am in fact quitting today. But I think ultimately what it came down to was if I get this contract and I quit today, Great. But if I don't get this contract and I don't quit today, I'm going to feel scared that I don't have it in me to get another big client that I, you know, I have the salary. So I'll just take my sweet time finding the next big client. And I didn't want to give myself the cushion to do that at all. So that's to me, it came down to, okay, if I quit and I don't get it, it is showtime, baby. Like you are hustling and Again, retrospectively now, I probably would say, you're an idiot. Like, what were you thinking? Um, At least line up another client. But as it happens, I quit. I got the client. And within like two months, I bested my salary. And then it was just like game on from there. And then so your business then was focused on for a while doing... Corporate corporate rebrands. Corporate rebrands. And and the sweet spot of businesses that are growing yes and that client in particular was around for my goodness 25 years at least um and and what it was is and i've seen this trends with a lot of uh, professional service firms they're obviously stakeholders their shareholders partners are are aging and the way that they had marketed prior you know shaking hands on a golf course and stuff is not the way that junior partners and their clients successors who are these you know younger millennials are wanting to be marketed to. And just because it's, you know, daddy's golf buddy doesn't mean that that relationship is going to carry. So many of them, I think we're finding an identity crisis, not only externally with finding these newer, younger techie clients that had this money, but also internally, who are we selling this practice to? And is the brand that we built for them something that 
a 30 something is going to want to buy into? Eh, in, in many cases, no. Do you think that's a hard thing for people who are, because owners are, have a personal tie to their business, right? And their brand in some way is an extension yes. of them. Yes. Is that a hard thing for people to wrap their mind around? Like, oh, my brand isn't, like company brand isn't what I thought it was? I think many of them see enough of the pain points that as business owners, they realize, okay, there's a band, a brand breakdown and I need to fix it. I don't, I've never found opposition to the, you need to change something. Most of the time they know something's not working. I have found resistance to, and this is what the change should be. So what, if you're looking back on like early in your career, would you have done anything or what advice would you give to someone who's um, maybe just out of school? Uh, network like hell. It's interesting. I actually went back to uh, Towson and, and t- gave the nine lessons I would have told myself at your age. Um, one of my first and the one that comes to top of my mind was network like hell. Uh, number two, um, be open to opportunities, right? You know, I think a lot of people at 22 would never have wanted to work for a subprime lender doing direct mail campaigns. But if I hadn't have come back, I would have never been in a position where I got to see what mergers and acquisitions look like and what rebranding a company looked like. So be open to opportunities, but also know when an opportunity has served you well and it's time to listen to your heart. My business would not be where it's at. I wouldn't have, you know, the the interesting industries and uh, opportunities I have today if I didn't intuitively listen to that gut saying, okay, and now we're done here. In fact, I found a quote for this presentation that I gave to them and it said, listen to your gut, your heart knows what your mind has not figured out yet. And I have, anytime I've listened to my instincts, I've never been let down. When I've argued with it, it eventually worked out, but um, you know, thank goodness. So that's a big one. The other one I told them was, know the difference between being, or earning a high salary and being wealthy. And so one of the first things I did when I uh, opened my business, my accountant, who is fantastic, um, oh, he's just, he's, he's one of the best people I know. I, I seriously get so happy thinking about my accountant. I love him. It's audio <laughs> so nobody can see, but you're smiling. I am. I'm like beaming like a child. Uh, he's so great. He gave me uh, the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that's when I realized, oh, if I really want to grow and scale a business, it has to become an asset. And um, it needs to make me wealthy, meaning I have to have something that if I'm sleeping is still giving me money, that at least I can invest that money and make interest on it. It, it really changed from, from how I looked at money, mm-hmm. like 1,000% difference in where I saw I was willing to spend my money or not spend my money. So that was definitely one of them. Um, but, to, but to really bring it back to if you're just out of college, I mean, network, network, network take opportunities, be open to opportunities in industries that you might not think you would be excited about. In my case, if I hadn't have been in subprime lending, if I haven't thrown my hat over the wall and done sales, I would have never gotten to this serendipitous point where I started my own business and then through that and continued networking, got involved into something like mar- medical marijuana, which is now an industry ripe for opportunity um, in the state and many others as we continually legalize it across the country. So it's you, you don't always know what that path looks like, but trust that if you work hard, if you're humble, and if you network, you're going to get on a really good path. And I believe that to my core. And how do you, I'm going to come back to the medical marijuana thing too, because I think it's, it's obviously an interesting topic in general from a marketing perspective. Yes, it is. 
how actually I won't come back to it. I'll just talk about it now. And then come back to my other question. <laughs> yes. Um, how so for you? I'd imagine that's we were talking a little bit bef- about this before we started recording. That that would be that's probably exciting from your seat to be on kind of the front end of marketing a rel- a new industry yes. in Maryland, right? Yes. So the company that you're working with opened in January, January, a couple months ago. So talk a little bit about that in terms of like what drew you to that. In, like to to this business or this industry to yeah. be on the forefront of it. Again, uh, networking is how I got here. I was um, at a, a lunch with a wealth advisor who handles some pretty impressive individuals' money, and um, I thought, oh my god, I got to talk to this guy. You know, he's done really well for himself. Clearly, his clients have done very well for themselves. I'm at this point, this was at the kind of tail end when I knew I was becoming more entrepreneurial at Mariner Finance. I have my moonlighting clients. I just wanted to network, network, network with other entrepreneurs. And so we went to lunch and, you know, to his credit, he was just like, wow, you're a really sharp young lady. I want to help you. I, you know, not creepy in the least, like least creepy guy right. ever, which you always have to think about sometimes if you're a female. I hate to say that, but it's, it's true. And so he was just the kindest person and said, you have to talk to my, my client, Gina. Um, she is, you know, a Forbes ranked women in woman in business. She had worked in hedge funds. She's been in venture cap. She just sold her last company for a great amount of money. I think if you're looking for a mentor, if that's why you're here, that's going to be a good fit. And he told me her last name and I said, Oh, Oh my goodness, that's, I think, my cousin. And I said that because I hadn't seen her since I was nine. And, and you know. Married name. Yeah, married name. Yeah. She was, so I always revered her as like, oh, this, you know, this, my dad's like cousin or something. When in reality, she, our grandfathers are brothers, so we're second cousins. And when, um, when I got reconnected to her, um, she, we had a few lunches and then at one point she said, you know, I've been asked to invest in a few different medical cannabis businesses. So I think I'm just going to go ahead and bid one myself. And do you want to do the marketing for it? <laughs> Hell yes, I do. Jump right on <laughs> yes. it. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> and so how is that, like, as you're doing that, how has that ride been? Like, um, has it have because I imagine that there's like regulations and there is um, with with this industry it feels actually much more like a partnership with the commission you know they're figuring it out too they're a couple years old we're all figuring it out together I would say everybody in this industry at least the individuals I have met and can speak for have an abundant mindset. They generally want to push the industry forward as we're still fighting for rights of this um, in the federal space. And so I think for us, it's any uh, one small step forward for Greenhouse Wellness, which is the name of the dispensary, one giant leap forward for medical cannabis is how we see it in any move that is favorable for even a competing dispensary or a grower or the commission itself is a giant leap forward for Americans having access to medicine that is not addictive, <laughs> that is not going to cause an overdose, and that can really put a dent in this this epidemic that our country is facing with opioids. And and I, I know that everybody here firmly believes it, and I, I even get choked up talking about it because I've lost so many friends to, to opioids. Mm-hmm. So um, I've loved marketing it for that reason. Yeah. Well, it... It sounds like it continues for you in that path of 
things that are really mean, like meaningful to you and following your passion and yes. staying true to yourself and what you're doing. And that was the thing with Subprime. You know, look, um, that company ran itself with integrity. I cannot not say that. We were a compliant company through and through. There was probably always a small piece of me that thought, if I do my job really well, it is probably going to get somebody else in a situation that they might not be able to work themselves out of. I mean, we're talking loans at 30% interest. Yes, wow. in some states. Right. All states, you right. know, state-by-state state regulation. But up to 30% in some states. And again, it's a business, and these people could not get loans otherwise. So like, it was always that one shoulder saying, well, they need it. Their water heater blew. They're not going to get money from anybody else. You are providing a service. And on the other, other shoulder thinking, my God, if this was a friend of mine, I'd be like, girl, we got to get you out of debt. Like, let's, you know, let's talk about this. Let's start paying off the credit cards. Let's, you know, debt relief companies, like help me help you. So I think I always was a bit conflicted in that way. It wasn't something, you know, to be honest, I was super passionate about like advancing humanity through subprime loans, you know, but with fortunately the businesses I'm involved with now, I mean, not only would I personally advocate for every single one of them, even the professional association societies um, that I'm involved with, I, I would probably willingly go to lunch or dinner with any one of my clients. Like, I would just hang out with them. Mm-hmm. They're good people, and that's another thing I would tell somebody getting into business. Look, definitely take on clients that that have the budget that will make your business flow, you know, set expectations, but at the end of the day... I would say there's two things I love, love, love about having my own business. And one of which is I do get to choose my coworkers. Um, And that makes my job so much fun every single day. And number two is I do get to set my own schedule. Now, when I work that 70 hours a week (laughs) is up to me. You're You're still setting your schedule. (laughs) I'm setting my 70 hour a week, most weeks schedule. But again, 70 hours doesn't feel like it. If you love what you're doing. I'd be doing this. I was doing this anyways. Right. Not making money for myself like I could have. So, you know, it's a lot of people talk about striving for balance in life. I don't think that's a thing. Um, I mean, sure, when it comes down to health and stuff, like get your sleep, get balance in your life. But obtaining balance, I think, is uh, setting yourself up for failure paradigm. It's who are you in the world and how do you show up for that every single day? And I will say now, wasn't like this when I started my business, but now I feel much more that the Kate that I am with my family and my friends and my clients is very much the same person, which has given me balance. There's no roll on, roll off. Now I'm home. Now I'm with friends. Now I'm doing this. And and that to me is, is balance when you can be... Authentically when what, yes, who you are. When what you think, say, and do are in alignment in every situation of your life, I think that that's pretty damn good for balance. It's funny. I remember earlier in my career having this feeling for some... And I don't even know what drove it, but like when I was at work, I had to be... Like communicate a certain way that oh, yes. wasn't naturally how I would talk. Definitely. And then as I've just matured throughout my career, it's just been like, it's the same Lauren. It's the same Kate. Yes. It's like one pie and it's not like we're different people in work or out of work. Yes. And I think that for younger people coming up, they might not get that. Maybe that's just figuring out who you are in general. Yeah. I did. That's the plight of your twenties. Um, right. It's like one of a quote I really enjoy is 
um, I guess, it, oh goodness, I'm going to feel like an idiot if I misquote this, but I'm going to try my best. When Michelangelo was talking about the statue of David and creating it, he said, I didn't create that statue. I just simply chipped away everything that was not David and there he was. And I thought, oh my God, that is, that was my 20s. Like I did not create Kate. I simply chipped away all of those roles and personalities. What you and didn't want to be. What I didn't want to be that was not authentically me. And then there I became. And then there I can become in all areas of my life. Right. Which so. is like, I feel like an amazing feeling when you get to that point. Of yes. Like, I had uh, two more questions tied back to something that you said uh, earlier. Um, but what's the balance? You talked a little bit or mentioned like the balance between sales and marketing. Yes. Or like... So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so, you know, sales, I would say, um, first of all, this is another piece of advice I would give to any marketer. If you want to be a great marketer, start in sales. Sales always knows intimately what your customers want and what their problems are. You can't be a good marketer if you don't know that and you don't know that inherently, like from their mouths to your ear. So I would actually make my employees at Mariner Finance go sit in branches and learn how to underwrite loans and see the type of people that came into the branches before they ever were allowed to set up a marketing campaign because in in sales, you're talking one-to-one and you're developing relationships. In marketing, you're in a position where you have to talk to one-to-many, but if you can create communication one-to-many that sounds like one-to-one, it's going to be effective. So I think sales is much more of the, you know, boots on the ground, they're in the trenches, they're they're taking the bullets, they're telling you where it's coming from, and marketing is more of, you know, central command, strategy, uh, bigger picture, and, and really, like, positioning is and that can be conceptual so you know where do we stand what is our opinion what are our benefits what are our 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 pros what are our you know and leaning into those for our different target markets but I think quite simply sales is one-to-one marketing is Mm one-to-many and I like saying it like that because the message should still be the same if you want to be a great marketer you should be writing one-to-one and what is in the the day now or era now of personal branding what's your perspective on personal branding goodness you have one whether you like it or not um and you always had one whether you liked it or not your personal brand is quite simply what people think of you i mean it's their perception of you it's your reputation it's it's the first thing that comes to mind when people think of you fortunately now with all the technology and social media we have it's much easier to control that narrative Mm -hmm. um than it was before because you can proactively create content that's in alignment with what you want people to think of you and as long as you're consistent they're going to start thinking of you in that way. Um, Really, anybody who's in a professional capacity and wants to build a personal brand should be on LinkedIn. I think it is the place to build a personal brand. It has landed me in spots where it got me my first international clients. Um, Through LinkedIn, I started contributing to Fox News. And it it really all... That's the place where I became the personal branding girl. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's because there was a lot less noise and a lot less great content being developed on that site than other social media sites. And as millennials have really entered the workforce and have been unapologetically themselves on LinkedIn, um, we're seeing that personal branding has become much more interesting on that platform. It's not just posting Harvard Business Review article links and saying, great article, Mm -hmm. or posting quotes of the day from, you know, 
whomever, or Peter Drucker, or whatever, you know, management right. consultant you want to, great leader you want to talk about. It really is much more of the, this is me and my life and my career. And people have really started to respond quite well to that. So if you're looking to build a personal brand, I think that the the place you could build it most expeditiously and most powerfully is LinkedIn, 1,000% hands down. Well, LinkedIn, I imagine you have a much deeper perspective in this than I do, but it, it, it's not as it is. It does have a lot of content on it now, but it's yes. not as saturated as other social networks. Correct. You have to. F- We're in the space race of LinkedIn. We saw this with Instagram when it first came out. The influencers went on there, claimed their territory. Now, arguably, it's much harder to become an Instagram influencer than the early days when you had that that um, built up and, and really came in and claimed your territory. We see this with. Uh, Kiara Faragni, who was the blonde salad. She's like this amazing Instagram stylish person. And she got in like on the early days of it. And now, of course, has lines with every major major fashion house and a shoe line. And and she got paid from it. I, I firmly believe that for those who want to become the equivalent of a fashion blogger in the professional services space, which I would argue is keynotes writing the book, again, monetizing your thought leadership, LinkedIn is your Instagram, and now is the time to claim your space. And what, um, I'm switching topics over to uh, close. If you're going out to meet, like, with a client, you're going to happy hour, you're going to, like, a baseball game, or you're going to meet at a, you know, button-up, like, bank on Wall Street, right? Just as an example. What, uh, what do you wear? Fortunately, these days, uh, with my clients, I, I usually wear uh, jeans, heels, tailor blazer, a shirt. Um, today, you guys obviously can't see me. I'm dressed in the uh, acceptable wear of my client. But that was another thing coming off of finance and probably still to a certain degree. I'll probably never get to the point where I'm wearing, you know, just jeans and a fashionable tee and sneakers, although I really envy women in business who are just unapologetically like, this is my look, like it's my thing. Um, and even though I am in industries now where that would totally be acceptable, i.e. medical marijuana, I I just always come from the school of thought of like dress for the job you want. And damn right. I want to be Sarah Blakely, like (laughs) with multi-million dollar (laughs) empire. So I will dress accordingly. Right. Right. I I will wear those spanks and I will dress it up. Um, so yeah, I think naturally I probably dress up more than I probably need to in certain situations. But even the jeans, I love wearing a nice pair of jeans. I do think jeans are earning a different place in the workforce now, but like more acceptable. Oh yeah, and still, but still, when I wear it, it's paired with a blazer and heels because that's my version of jeans. <laughs> yes, yeah, or a nice a nice blouse and heels. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go to a few rapid fire questions. Oh. Okay. So these are like just. Top of top of mind, yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Beach or snow? Beach. Grass or sky? Sky. Deep sea diver or astronaut? Oh, astronaut. (laughs) All right. That's it. (laughs) Um, Anything else that you want to mention that we did not cover? Um, Yes. So for those of you who are looking to monetize your personal brand, and I did mention that LinkedIn is the place to do that, you can head over to theinfluence.academy. That's theinfluence.academy, no .com, .academy. It is an online course that we've prepared for coaches, consultants, and service providers who are looking to gain international clients, get speaking uh, engagements, really start monetizing that that thought leadership so you can get less off of the consulting sides out of the trenches and more of the 
thought leadership and, and uh, income earning opportunities there. And um, I guess that's that's probably the biggest thing I would say. I mean, I, I got into this business because I wanted to see people who were passionate about the work they were doing achieve their dreams on a large scale level. And that's probably why I love personal branding so much. So anybody out there who is looking to do that, don't be afraid to contact me. And is that any type of like years of like do they have to own a company? They have no. to be an executive. Do they no. have to be can they be in their twenties? They like, can certainly be in their twenties. In fact, the younger, the more inexperienced, I would argue, uh, the more of a cutting edge you have when it comes to it. It's just and we work with you on that. You're building your confidence in a way that doesn't feel like puffery, but feels like genuine, valuable content, even if you're just getting started in your career. Listen, there's a market that wants to hear about somebody who's just getting started in their career. There's always a market for what you're doing. Never underestimate the value you can provide. That's really good advice, that last piece, uh, for sure. So I'm going to also add a link to that in like the intro Perfect. summary. Thank you. So, uh, all right. Uh, my guest is Kate Ladon. This is the Lauren Asgari podcast. Thank you again so much Thanks, for being Lauren. here. This was awesome. Thank you. I really enjoyed it.